Hey there, this is Matt, and you're listening to the Matt Foss Mashup. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm very deeply humbled that you've chosen to spend this time with me. We're in the middle of our season three mid-season break. Still the holiday season at the time of this recording. I know we're just a few days away from the end of 2018, so I want to wish you a happy, happy new year. And I'm going to share with you part two of the interview I had with Dr. Brian Perlman as we discuss mental health in schools. This part of the interview will go into supporting strong and healthy teams, effective training for staff members, developing mindfulness with teachers, teacher self-care, and effective student management techniques, and the very important role of kindness. I hope you enjoy. So you kind of mentioned on burnout, overworking, overusing. How about demoralization? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we balance? Let's talk school leaders. How do we balance the push for high expectations, for performance, whether it's like accountability performance or just the goals we have set? How do we balance that with teachers not becoming demoralized or feeling like it's just all about that? Right. Well, and again, I might just be one or maybe the two of us are just two voices. I never hyper-focused on the test data. Obviously, I was aware of it. Obviously, I monitored it. Obviously, I knew it would be in the local newspaper and on all those websites that tell you how good you get four hearts kind of school or three stars. And clearly, we all wanted to be successful. But I kind of took the approach that if we work together as a team, if we really focused on what was important, we were really strategic about what we did. I knew what the guaranteed and viable curriculum was. I knew that maybe we had to cover, we're told to cover a hundred things. Well, it doesn't mean you have to cover them in the same weight, that our conversations were more to, how do we give the kids a really strong, well-rounded, balanced um, learning uh, curriculum and, and do that in such a way that we're not just teaching to the test, that we're not just hyper-focused, that we're not you know, slamming a teacher because this year maybe we plateaued, maybe next year. I mean, we came to the realization that if, we, if these were all of our kids, whether you were kindergarten and you don't really give the state assessment or whether you were specialist, we were all gonna sink or swim together. We we're all gonna contribute something that kind of took the pressure away from one individual teacher that we looked at it as a team. Everything was a team effort. You know, our lunch ladies were part of the team and we reinforced things. And, you know, we knew what content area, maybe historically we were kind of struggling about, but uh, we kind of got them on board and reinforcing those things and maximizing every minute. But we didn't cut minutes in the arts and things to, to double and triple up on math skills. The thing that we found out is if you took the long view to academics, the people who taught to the test that specific year and hit that and were doing test prep, maybe scores are good that year, but it was going to get you somewhere in the future. That if we worked in one district I was a part of, we were all on one campus. We had a elementary, middle, and high school. So we all kind of were one big family and we were all responsible. I'd have conversations with parents. I feel as responsible to getting these kids career and college ready as the high school guy does. So um, I think that that's a way, you know, and the other thing is, you know, 
most of the teachers that I interacted with, the majority of them did the best that they knew how to. And, and we made sure that we had cognitive conflicts and conversations, but not effective domain ones. Even if someone had to be called out, even if there was something we had to work on, there was a respectful way of doing it and a constructive way mm-hmm. of doing it. And I found that I had good success doing it that way. My colleagues that looked like they pulled all their hair out and were hyper-focused on the data, it never really lasted that long. I mean, it's, it's a long race, you know, and, mm-hmm. and sprinting through it, you're never going to finish a marathon that way. So I guess that that's kind of uh, the best way that, that we had to have honest conversations. We had to work together as a team. But we felt like if we did good instruction and focused what we were doing, kids would end up doing really well. And the evidence was there that it worked. That recipe did work. I hear long game versus short game. Yeah. You know, that, that seems like healthy school. Now, you mentioned a, a moment ago about a few training aspects. Um, what are some effective training techniques, I guess you could say, for teachers and staff to start to focus on school health or mental health and wellness? Okay. <clears throat> the model that I use, and, and there's nothing uh, trademarked or copywritten about it, the formula seems to work. What I find is that uh, in trainings, whether it's me when I was in my own building or traveling across the country, uh, you know, doing trainings, I like to um, have lots of scenarios, real world scenarios. I like breaking groups into interdisciplinary teams that have sort of that diversity of thought. And although I'm instructing them and I know what it is that I need to get across and I know what research and evidence tells us and what best practices are, but I like to throw it back at them and force people to work together, to brainstorm, to problem solve, to come up with ideas that would even in these scenarios, what interventions would be, how we would problem solve, how we would help students or groups of students like that. Because the really cool thing about that is as soon as they're done, we use that, we bring out research, we share tools, they can implement that stuff tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's, I, I certainly like hearing speakers that are motivational. I hope to be, I hope to make people laugh and I make them cry and I build empathy and I give them like six new tools for their toolbox and and all that stuff. But um, I, I think at the same token, you have to take people through a process. You have to practice something to become proficient at it. This notion that we're just going to throw 10 teachers in a room, here's the kids, solve it and let us know, that process really doesn't work. It, it's not an innate thing. You know, this, this whole notion of coming up with interventions and problem solving and working through that process. The other thing is they don't teach that in, in teacher prep right? That, that's not covered there. Dealing with the mental health aspects, dealing with kids that aren't in sort of that norm, that average band, they don't teach us. I have one class, like really, literally one class, that exceptional child that sort of kind of is gifted and sort of kind of is IEP and sort of kind of is, and I don't know how much has changed in the last, it's been a long time since I took that class, um, but I think you need to teach those skills to, to people and model them. So when I go out and do trainings, I'm telling you, I make everybody laugh. I make them cry. We have feel-good moments, kumbaya. I sometimes get hugs. You never know. But through that, it's very strategic that you kind of break folks down, build them up, have them practice, give them some tools, and off they go. And I think that that formula that I use, particularly with 
trauma, challenging behaviors, kind of this notion of whatever it takes to help kids succeed, you could use that same recipe, even if you're working on, you know, helping a kid who's struggling in math or in reading or with speech and language. I mean, it, I think that that model is effective. And, and in the, I think to date, we've, we've trained the last couple of years here, like 15,000 people. I think the, the, the recipe works. Talk about a little about the training then and about the, uh, the nonprofit. Um, what's the impact? What's the impact you're trying to make through the nonprofit? And how do you plan on going about doing it? How do you go about doing it? Okay. Well, I'll take a, a slight step back. Okay. So I've had my own business, Most Valuable Professional Development. Sounds like a commercial now, but it isn't. Uh, MostValuablePD.com. There's the commercial. Uh, I've been doing that for, for several years. I go out and do trainings. And I feel like they've been impactful. I th- feel like we go wherever the need is and it's enjoyable and people clap and they learn. And again, you get hugs and, you know, hug babies and pose for pictures and, and get more Twitter followers or whatever. It's all I'm joking about all of this. Um, but what we found was as good as that is, and, and it's very cost effective and, and all that, what we're finding is sort of the one and done or few ones are great. And if that's what a school can deal with, we're glad to be in there and do that. The nonprofit kind of came out of this idea that we really wanted to capitalize on more strengths of the crew that we have here to build this board, which we did. There's 14 or 15 members of the board. And really, to work out an agreement with the school, and instead of just doing a one or two day thing, which I still do, and, and I'm eager and excited to do that, that we could even get a greater impact by working with the school for 12 months up to 100 hours of training and contact with a trainer or consultant and really laser focused on areas like stress and anxiety, depression, uh, self-harm, suicide, uh, mindfulness, teacher self-care, etc. So we developed modules sort of as a basis, but what we do our first trip in, we come in, we just observe, we talk to people, we meet with groups, we Uh, do a needs assessment, we work with the school, and then we hope to come with our first two-day trip to come up with like four SMART goals, some that we create with our board, some that the school does, and then we're there to support them. We go to a school that went through two years of intensive trauma training, maybe we touch on that, but not nearly as deeply. We look at their data, we see there's a school we're working with that has some ridiculous number of suspensions because that's the only tool that they they currently have. And our hope then is to come up with being proactive, getting ahead of the suspensions, looking for things, be it a movement intervention, be it uh, doing Tai Chi, doing some suspension alternative. We know that there are going to be some behaviors that still are going to warrant it. You break someone's nose, you're going home. Mm -hmm. You bring a knife to school, you're going home. You're dealing drugs at school, you're going home. But there's a lot of these gray area things that the best tool, you know, if the best tools you got is a screwdriver, you're going to use a screwdriver. We're hoping to give uh, more tools. So over this 12-month process, we work really intensively. Every school that we work with has a little bit different recipe, a little bit different uh, focus. And our hope is, assuming they achieve the goals that are set out and that we feel like there's been enough of improvement, at the end of the 12 months, we certify them and rec- nationally recognize them as a distinguished school of mental health and wellness, which is a really good uh, recognition. The standards that were created were done so, again, 
by board members that are like nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists and pediatricians and educators that uh, it's really just intensive. It takes what I do as uh, in my individual trainings, which I do on, you know, completely independent of this and just really make this like we're partners for a solid year um, and really help them get to a point uh, you know, where, where we feel comfortable, that we feel like it's inclusive for kids, no matter what their mental health concerns or challenges are. Uh, and again, we hope to change life trajectories. And as corny as it is, and I've said it before, if we could save one life through all these efforts, it, it's been a complete success. So. Let's start wrapping up. I have a quote I want to share, but uh, you said sometimes the difference between a good day and a bad day for a student is simply a kind word mm -hmm. from a caring adult. For students, this may be the only positive they hear from the adults in their life. You know, uh, I mentioned off camera before we started this that I'm working on this book and uh, almost done, you know, and the, the thing I was just working on before we started was a, a chapter and a focus on kindness and the power of kindness. And, and it's funny because like all of us may have a little bit different definition, but if we said that's kind or what is kindness, we're probably all talking about the, uh, the same animal. But one of the things that I shared in that is uh, a, a person I ran into at the grocery store not that long ago. And the person said, Mr. Perlman, Mr. Perlman, and gave me a big hug. And it's an adult now. And and I recognized her right away. She's obviously taller, looks a little bit different, but I never forget a face. And uh, mm -hmm. knew it was a fifth grade student of mine from, I didn't even know, probably 15 years ago or something. And, um, and, and she said, uh, you know, I want to thank you. And kind of stopped there. And I'm like, mm, for what? <laughs> what do you want to thank me for? And she said, you were very kind. You're a really kind person. And I couldn't help myself. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, help me, like, give me an example. And she said, you know, you just did little things, a million little things that you did to be kind. And it was nothing specific. It was nothing huge, but you were just a kind person. And, you know, I was going through a lot, you know, my parents split and I didn't see much of my dad and her words, life pretty much sucked that year for me. And it was really hard. And I blame myself for my parents splitting. And you were just this kind person that were smiling and you were happy and, you know, life was good and, and so forth. And at that point, I made a decision that I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be a kind teacher just like you. And I'm not really a teary kind of guy or a really overly emotional guy, but I waited. And as soon as I went up to my car, I started tearing up and I was kind of between like feeling really great and then feeling bad. Like this kid was going through such tough things and I really didn't even even know it. But what I thought about in that situation or in others that we all encounter is that kindness doesn't take much. You know, it's that little word. It's the hand on the shoulder. It's the helping someone get up. It's doing something even sometimes that to the kid that's, that's rough and tough or, or being kind to someone who on the surface isn't a really kind person. But going through the research, it's like kindness does so much for you yourself as the person giving that away. And kindness is really infectious. There's a lot of research that says by doing these kind things, it 
it's one of these things in the brain and the way we react, it makes people be more kind mm -hmm. to, to others. So I guess my point in, in saying things is that there are kids that we will never know the path that they're walking on. They mask it well, um, or we just don't know. No matter how good we are, no matter how what a great relationship person, we're going to miss one here or there. That that little bit of kindness, in particular, even to those who may not deserve it at the time, again, and it's this constant theme, can really change a, a kid's life, their life trajectory, their outlook. That can be the difference. I mean, it's something so silly and little, things that we're just courteous to a neighbor or kind to a neighbor that we don't even really know that well. Just it's it's just I don't know, man. It, and and with the challenging kids, I had a teacher that said in college that said just kill them with kindness, and I snickered at the time but i never really thought any deeper that i don't know about killing them but maybe just overwhelming them yeah. with kindness modeling that so i think that's probably the place where i was coming from when i when i wrote that and just thinking about some of our kids that are just in situations that we ooh, that we would never want anyone to be in that giving that extra little bit of kindness is just such an important thing that's powerful it's the small thing sometimes. Dr. Perlin, Brian, I really appreciate you sharing your insights with the podcast and the listeners here today. Let me see if I can get this right. The listeners can contact you for professional development at mostvaluablepd.com. Correct. Of course, to learn more about the nonprofit and the work that uh, you can do for their school, uh, that's www.dsmhw.com or Distinguished School of Mental Health and Wellness. Is that correct? That's correct. Well, Matt, I really appreciate your time. I really enjoy uh, interacting with you on Twitter, being part of a PLN with you. Yeah, uh, I think you're doing some great things. Uh, keep doing your thing. And uh, hopefully our, our paths will cross in a positive way somewhere out on the road here. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, uh, happy holidays to you. And thanks again for letting me be a part of this. Definitely, Brian. It's good chatting with you and good connecting as well. Hey there, I don't want to leave you just yet. I'm going to let you know about a very special opportunity on a project that I've been blessed to be a part of, Principal Tribe. This is a platform for school leaders, educational leaders to connect and to amplify their voices. If you haven't heard about it, you can check it out at principaltribe.org. Principal Tribe is not for everybody. It will be for future-minded school leaders who create, innovate, and publish in ways that bring immense value to humans. So once again, it's principaltribe.org. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go out there and make an impact.